You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms and the new shotgun from Savage, the Renegade. At the core of the Renegade is an industry-first patented dual-valve self-regulating gas system made to cycle higher power loads with the same reliable consistency as lower power target loads all while cutting down on recoil. Now, this, this shotgun is ergonomic. It's well-balanced. Bal- it has a patented stock pad that knocks down recoil. And definitely check out the information about the, the dual-valve gas system that uh, allows for this consistency, right? Uh, there is so many cool, creative things that Savage has done with this shotgun. If you want to learn more about the Renegade, visit savagearms.com slash renegade happy hump day everybody and welcome back to the nine finger chronicles podcast i'm your host dan johnson and i'm sitting in my office today and i don't know if you can hear this but I am eating baby carrots. That is my go-to snack um, when I feel like munching. So this uh, is a shout-out to the baby carrot because I'm a huge fan of eating baby carrots, and I'm also a huge fan of drinking Budweiser. So I wish you could see me right now. I'm drinking a Budweiser, and I'm eating a two pound bag of baby carrots now i haven't eaten all two pounds today it takes me about two or three days to eat two pounds of baby carrots (laughs) this is not what you guys were expecting but i love baby carrots i love budweiser and i love today's guest mr lucas psycho man he's been on several times and if you don't know the guy you need to know the guy because he is as passionate about hunting and bow hunting and the outdoors and family as anyone I know to be honest with you I really look up to the guy um, because I wish everybody could have the same passion that he does the same drive that he does and it's uh, it's amazing it's it's and as you will as you will see in this podcast or see listen in this podcast the way he talks you can just you can just feel the excitement in his voice, and that's why I like having this guy on. Today, uh, we talk about, a lot of it has to do about the river, river bottom ground that he hunts. 
We talk about how him and his dad kind of got into bow hunting at the same time and learned how to hunt these river bottoms um, in North Dakota where he lives. We talk about, um, you know, the game-changing access education that he that he had, and that's basically from um, using the water to his advantage for access routes. Uh, we talk about high water, low water. We talk about strategy. We talk about a little bit about how him and his dad kind of had these learning experiences together. And then we end the show. You want to, you want to hear a guy get geeked out about something? Um, his wife drew a moose tag this year, and he is jacked up. He's he's not even really thinking about whitetails right now, which is his bread and butter, his mo, his uh, what he gets passionate about. But uh, his wife drew uh, a coveted once in a lifetime mule or uh, elk or Jesus moose tag in North Dakota, and he's sounds like he's just going to be dedicating a lot of time to helping his wife fill that tag. So today we got to do a commercial and. Today's commercial, which is fitting for this podcast, is Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, the ultimate run and gun tree stand made in America, so it's very high quality. If you are looking for a tree stand to get you into that world of being mobile, to get you into that world of really being able to tear down, set up, tear down, set up, move, be mobile, go to the deer and not have to necessarily wait for them. Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands is the um, is definitely the product that you guys need to check out. Let me pull up the website here real quick. LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. They have a couple different uh, variations. They have the Assault, which is the smaller model. That's my preferred method. Uh, I run the Assault with four sticks. And uh, they also have the Alpha, which is a little bit bigger of a platform. Uh, what you guys need to do is go visit LoneWolfHuntingProducts.com. Take a look at the sticks and stand options that they have. Take a look at their hunt-ready system. And I'm telling you right now, it, it is one of those products that will, re- will really change the way you hunt. It, it allows you to be efficient, allows you to be, uh, to be quieter. It allows you to get closer. And, and what, what all these things do is allow you to have more opportunities at target animals. So huge fan of Lone Wolf. Check them out, lonewolfhuntingproducts.com. And if you do decide to purchase, enter the discount code, tick-tock, tick-tock, 9FC50, and you will receive $50 off of all orders over $200. That's a pretty bitchin' uh, discount, and uh, they have flat rate shipping, so it's pretty easy to take care of. Lone Wolf, badass tree stands, and that's the commercial. Let's get into today's, man, it's kind of like a, a, a BS session, but there is a theme, and, and it's really about river bottom whitetails with Lucas Psycho, my man from North Dakota. In three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, good buddy and uh, passionate bow hunter, Mr. Lucas Psycho, man, what's up? Oh, just surviving, surviving the pandemic, you know, <laughs> it's like everybody else out there is trying to hang on, make it through this damn thing. How has your life changed? How has your life changed? <laughs> oh, well, I've been working from home for like 
gosh, since I think it was the end of February, early March there, I think. Yeah. So, so I've been working from home, you know, uh, which fortunate, very fortunate. Still got my job. Uh, you know, in that regard, working from home, it's, so it's, it's taken almost, you know, in, in a weird way, it's gotten semi better for me as far as family life and stuff like that. Cause you know, yeah. I get to be at home, be around the kids and, and, uh, the wife and I, we, we, uh, had to take up, take up homeschooling, you know, um, <laughs> Lucky, lucky for us though. Uh, right here, the school, school of Trenton, North Dakota. Here, this public school our kids go to, they've they've done a fantastic job just getting everything lined up. Yeah. Uh, as far as getting getting classes online and 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 all their all their meetings online and stuff like that, and all the schoolwork getting it handed out and distributed and getting it back to them. Everything's been super easy, actually. So, yeah. so we lucked out because we've heard some horror stories yeah. from all of our friends. I feel you. I uh, our our teachers are all on point, man. They're sending videos and links, and they're having uh, Zoom meetings, and they're doing a whole bunch of uh, uh, interactive things with the kids, which keeps them occupied, you know, a little bit throughout the day. And then the cool, yeah, yeah, a little bit, <laughs> yeah, for about an hour, right, an hour and a half, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the rest of the day is is let's just you know do kid stuff where he's terrorizing, right, run wild, and and. Uh, you know, doing doing what they do, you know, which is fine, which is fine. Uh, my, my my wife's probably taking on the most burden there because, you know, with me working from home too, I just uh, barricade myself in our in our bedroom with my with my computer and everything like that. And then when I when I come out, I usually run out to the field and go run around and see my team and all that stuff that's out working in the field. So, so she's. She's gotten the she's gotten the burden of having to do the whole homeschooling for the most part. Yeah. But uh, try to chip in here and there. Well, I'll tell you one thing I've learned is that uh, I feel like my children are smarter than me at their age than I was. Like, I I think right now I'm on the same level as my daughter. She she's really <laughs> smart and she points out yeah. things that I don't you know that I don't catch and she's like no dad it's actually like this and I'm just like Jesus man I'm making right, myself right. look and bad then, you know, <laughs> yeah and they're learning things way different you know it's way different learning styles these days than than when we were in school right. so yeah so I, I actually it's probably a good thing they don't they don't they don't get like only help from dad dad, <laughs> right. dad gets mad sometimes get mad start acting like a caveman <laughs> well one banging stuff off the floor <laughs> right <laughs> right throwing shoes yeah yeah just throwing tantrums just can't can't get it you know well the other day i took my kids out and uh, we i took them fishing at this local lake and i taught them this like random things like okay check this out all water flows downhill right if you if you put water mm -hmm. if you put water here it's gonna go down here and that's what creates rivers and streams you know and i we caught a fish and i'm just like check the gills out that's how they breathe underwater and uh caught some bugs and, and identified some trees and some plants and things like that so they got their biology uh their biology lesson and their hydrodynamic lesson uh from from dad but uh I don't know how, how yeah. useful that would be, but the cool thing about the education that we could give them if, let's say, the the apocalypse hit was how to hunt, mm. and then they could yeah. eat, at least eat, right? Right. Hunting, fishing, yep, that type of stuff, growing some food. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you'll have to blow their minds and actually go, you know, there is a way that water does flow upward. <laughs> and then children, that's called capillarity. Yeah. And I learned that from old, old Psycho on the podcast the other day. <laughs> <laughs> that's, there's very few things that I know and I remember from school and in science class, but for some reason that capillarity thing always stuck in my head. Okay. You know, where water flows up in plants and all that stuff. So I'm gonna whenever have to I can look throw that, that in there and try to make myself right. sound a little bit smarter than I am. <laughs> You know, there it is. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. So when I when I reached out to you and I said, "Hey, man, let's let's do a podcast." Of course, you said, "Yeah, let's do it." Um, I didn't really have anything lined up. Just wanted to kind of BS with you. Yeah. And one of the things that I I don't know I know we've talked about past b- specific bucks and how you hunted them and and things like that. But one thing that I don't know if we've necessarily ever talked about was your introduction in to actually hunting, you know, like what got you hooked and, and stuff like that. So I guess my first question to you mm-hmm. is who, who got you into hunting? Uh, well, my dad, my dad, he, uh, he, he was, he was only a, he was only a, a rifle hunter up until I think I was, I was probably around 10, 11, 12, I think. And we finally started to convert over to, over to bow hunting only because, uh, you, it was getting it was getting tougher and tougher to draw a rifle tag in North Dakota, and so that, that was kind of the traditionary thing, you know, growing up around here was was a lot of deer drives and big groups of people, twenty, thirty, forty different forty people in one group, and there'd be several groups running around in these river bottoms during opening a gun season every year, and that I you know to tell you the truth, you know it it's that, it might shock some people, but I mean I I miss those days. You know the the camaraderie of when everybody would be out there getting together and doing this doing that that that's always that was always a really fun time and uh you know shit got shit got wild sometimes you know there's some groups that are a little bit less ethical than others yep. so you there'd be there'd be animals i mean the things that I heard of and I seen back then it was like, oh my God, you couldn't do that today, hundred percent you yep. know there too many people would be like, no that ain't flying but you know, but more than anything, it was just everybody, it was just a big deal. You know, school, kids were just released from school on that Friday. Just like, yeah, if you're going hunting, just go ahead and take it off. It's excused, you know. That's and awesome. uh, so we, we were, we'd always do that. But over the years, it was getting tougher and tougher to draw the rifle tag. And so my dad was like, well, I'm not going to not hunt. And so um, I, think he, I think he ended up getting a, getting a bow from somebody, or a friend of ours or something. He had an extra bow or got rid of, wanted to get rid of one, and my dad picked it up, and he started running around with it, and I, I think he, he kind of spent some time hunting, bow hunting w- without me for, for I, I think it was almost a year, year or so, a year or two maybe, and then finally, uh, finally I got curious enough, because uh, he'd come home with these stories and be telling us about it, and, and he'd be all excited and jacked up about it, but he hadn't, he hadn't killed one, he hadn't killed anything with his bow, so... Finally, one year he 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 had uh, he had allowed me to you know tag along. I think I think mainly I just didn't think I could go. And then I finally I just asked him, I was like, hey, well I want to go. Can I go and sit with you? And he was probably for the most part was he probably held off and letting me go because you know bowing me so tough from the ground. He wasn't hunting from a tree stand at that point, and having a you know ten year old ten year old or so sitting there on the ground with you probably isn't the easiest way to to kill a deer you know a lot of movement and too loud and all that stuff so finally i think he 
he uh he just let me come and then realized you know, oh gosh yeah you you you're cut out you can make it you know and and we had some good hunts and finally finally we he uh he killed a deer he killed a deer with me sitting right behind him and uh i think ever since that 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 first time seeing seeing him draw back and i kind of had the over the shoulder the old uh the old over the shoulder angle of watching him draw back on the deer i could see him and the deer it was you know i was only a couple feet behind him uh sitting on the ground and i and watching that all unfold i just thought from that moment on like this is what i this is what i want to do this is this is the coolest thing i've ever seen and so the following year got a bow and uh killed my first my first deer with my bow that 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 following fall and was was by far far and away the the best the best kill i mean it was it was i i, cl- I climbed up on somebody's old old tree stand that had a, that a, made out of wood and we we had been hunting this spot me and my dad just kind of teaming up on it i'd sit in an area and he'd sit in another area and we were after this one big buck in there and uh i climbed up on this on these limbs i was basically standing on a on a cottonwood limb with a little two by four and a crotch that was kind of the seat. And it was only about 11 feet, 12 feet off the ground. And a little forkhorn came walking right below my feet and I managed to stick him right through the neck. <laughs> not, by, by, like I said, not the most ethical, not the best shot ever, but I'm being a new bow hunter, didn't even know what the hell I was really doing and managed to kill the deer. I mean, he, he ran off and he actually died really relatively quickly. Yeah. And, uh, so, but when I, you know, it was just from that on, it was just man hooked, absolutely yeah. hooked, you know. And then just time and time and again, just being out there with him, and then my buddies, you know, a couple of my buddies started bow hunting, and and then so then it turned out, you know, I could take my I, my dad would let me take the vehicle before I even had a license. I had a little tiny pickup, and I started driving around in the bottoms down here, and that was that was another way to like get some freedom, you know. Is yeah. Hey, I can take the vehicle if I'm going hunting, you yeah. know. So we'd jump in the pickup, me and me and my buddies, and we'd go hunting, and and uh, yeah, it's just well, the type of thing that doesn't really happen these days, you know. Yeah. Not the type of stuff that you see kids doing anymore, especially at the ages we were. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. But that's so, all there was to do. Right. Right. Let me ask you this. I want to back up just a bit. And, you know, you mentioned that your dad only really rifle hunted for a while. Was he, was he passionate about whitetails like 365 or was it just kind of a, a little bit before gun season and during gun season and then you pack it up and and go, what was his, what was his passion level? He, He was, yeah, he was your standard, he was your standard, just rifle hunter, just Everybody, you know, during during deer season, it was deer season. You know, he'd always hunted and fished growing up and everything like that. You know, pheasants and and all that type of stuff, uh, paddle fishing and fishing and, and and everything like that. But but uh, he didn't really get hooked like you know like like we like we are now. You know, yeah. like uh, where you're always you're always you're out there in, in the mosquitoes in in july you know looking for for velvet bucks and sitting there and watching and getting eaten alive and planning and hitting the river in spring and shed hunting and you know and, and all that type of stuff so he he kind of was we we kind of fell in love with it around the same time like uh-huh. I, I would say that we pretty much took it you know took it took on bow hunting and uh together for the most part and I think it made it a lot more fun when when I started going with him too. I'm sure for him, you know. So yeah. So I think it was just one of those things where 
we'd, we'd always, you know, I was a big athlete and, um, sports, as much as sports brought us together, it also made us fight because, uh, <laughs> because I was just so, so damn stubborn and he would, he would try to criticize, you know, it was, it was constructive criticism, but I would take it as, you know, something like he's telling me, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Or I'm not, I'm not doing it right or right. This and that, you know, like typical stubborn kid would. Yeah. But bow hunting was one of those things where we were learning together and it never really resulted in any fighting. It was always just damn good times, laughing and going, oh, shit, well, that was crazy, you know, and this and that. And so it was just one of those things where we bonded where there was no, there was no, there was no tension be- be- between us ever. It yeah. was just always like, wow, wow, that worked. And well, like, oh, we, maybe we should try this. Maybe we should try that. And, and so we kind of learned it together. And, you know, and still to this day, it's about the same thing. Now, it's kind of converted sometimes now we little butt heads now because now it's, you know, we both have, we're both so much better than we were back then. Now it's kind of getting back to that, that we're, you know, that, that sporting, <laughs> that, you know, that competitiveness again where it's like, no, 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 I don't, I don't think that's where we, I don't think that's the way we need to go about it. We need to enter and we need to get out of the boat here and we got to come in here and, and we both kind of butt, butt heads here and there about it, but. Eventually, I just basically cave and let him let him have it his way a lot of the time, just <laughs> just because it's you know it's you're bad. such a and nice like, son. All right, well, <laughs> and then I get to go. I told you, you know, when it doesn't go right, right? <laughs> I told you, and they go, oh, whatever, man. You know, and, <laughs> so, like, I know it. And I'll intentionally say, I know if we came in from that area, sat in this area. You know, they would have went, I'll bet you a big buck walk right past it. Right. right. You know, like, oh, whatever. Right. So when <laughs> your when your dad, like, got into bow hunting, did you see his his passion level? I guess that's what we're calling it. The passion level for whitetails go up. Did he start planning and prepping more because now he was oh, a yeah. bow hunter? Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, now, now it started end of August as opposed to, you know, first, first week or two of November, you know? And, and so it was, it was just, uh, it was very evident, right? And he was, he'd be, he'd be going, he'd be going way more than he ever did in the years past, you know, a lot more hunting. And, and so it was, and then just sitting with them, uh, you know, just, just watching how, how things went down and then his intensity level and excited, excitedness of, you know, you're getting pretty damn serious when something's getting close. Like, ah, don't don't move, don't move. You know, like here it comes, here it comes. Gotta stay low, go. Whatever, you know. And and you know how that you know how somebody will just get that intensity level of of uh, when the intentions are starting to run high and then the blood starts pumping and everything. Like, so that just like it just like transmitted into me and and you know we both get to be like that and then and then I could actually hear better than him. And still to this day, I hear way better than him. And because he, he just ran around in farm equipment and stuff and on certain jobs he's had throughout his life, his hearing just got diminished. So he doesn't hear very, very well. So having me along, I could hear deer coming long before he could see them. So maybe that's why he brought me. <laughs> <laughs> just another, another set of eyes and ears. Yeah. Yeah, I always give a shit about that. It's just like, like that's one of my my favorite things to do anymore now these days when we're sitting together. Is I go, you hear that? I don't hear a damn thing. You know, he says, and I'm like, no, oh, deer coming. And it's hard sometimes. Like you try to tell, like you try to tell somebody that doesn't really hear or you know or anything. They don't believe something's coming, and you're trying to tell them like, get get ready. Let's go. There's something coming right through right over here. It's coming. And then, uh, oh yeah, okay. And then shit. You know, here comes a deer. Here comes a coyote or a moose or something. And then he's like. 
how the hell did you, that was five minutes later after you said you heard something and something popped out and I was like, I could hear it, you know? And he's like, ah, geez. He probably thought so you were being a smart one of the funny things. Well, what's that? He probably thought you're just being a smart ass. Oh, right. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can't say I haven't done that in the past, right? <laughs> Playing jokes on him. I mean, Christ, I had the, <laughs> that was one of the easiest things you could do is, you know, once you have the guy having to believe you and every now and then you go, Oh God, here comes something big. It's coming. Get ready. And then you watch him get scurried, get ready. And then go, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so. so when, when, uh, as you start, guys started learning bow hunting together and learning strategy and tactics, um, and and you guys, because you mentioned you started to approach this land as kind of a group, like one of you would sit over here, one of you would sit over there. Were you kind of hunting as a team, or were you still like on an individual level? Yeah, it was a team. It was definitely a team. It was. Uh, it was. You know, and back then there was, there was I would say there was a pretty fair amount uh, more deer back then. At least that's what it seemed like. Uh, it could have been just a lot different pressure too. Back then there wasn't nearly as many bow hunters, so maybe the deer were just more visible. But uh, so we we'd hunt, we'd hunt in you know there where we'd, we'd go hunting. There'd be you know, a group of deer coming out in this area of the field, and then maybe there'd be a group of deer coming through down here, and we'd kind of just hunt different groups a lot of the time or or if there's a certain area where we'd seen a buck come out in a couple of different spots we'd, we'd just basically split up and try to double the odds you know right so that that was the main tactic you know so you guys would almost have a a, a deer located or you, you maybe you saw him from a stand and now together you guys are like okay i'm gonna sit here and if he doesn't come yep. through here, someone needs to sit here, and then he yep. should he should come out one of these two places. Right. That was always the game plan. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was just, you know, and and sometimes it was like, well, I don't know where the hell we don't really have anything really really great pinned down. So then we just split up, and one would go to this area and get dropped off, and the other would drive down and go to this other area, and and then basically be doing some scouting for the most part. And then as soon as one of us got some going, it was like, all right, yep, I seen I seen a really good one come out down here. There was a big group of deer come out down here and one good one in that one. So, you know, if we just split up, maybe we could, you know, one of us can get one of them things. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how we would go about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. Real want, basic, actually. I want you to tell me a cool story of maybe a time where you you guys were still learning together bow hunting. Maybe it was in your teen years, if you can remember that far back, a story about you and your dad hunting as a team on, uh, on the ground that you guys had. Hmm. Maybe, maybe a lesson or a strategy or a time you bumped head, something that you kind of always remember. Well, there was, there was a deer. There's always one that kind of comes back to mind. It's not so much, um, it was kind of, it was kind of a, uh, a lesson in the way I kind of figured out how how a deer used thick. He he used a thick runway of of timber in be, from in between the river and 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 a channel of a water channel, and it was a it was a deer we called the Sunday Buck because it seemed like any Sunday it was football Sunday. I remember it all. That's why I, I kind of remember it so well is because we on every fo- every Sunday it was just kind of. Football, NFL football, and and hunting just go hand in hand. It always has been. So it's always been like that for me. Is because basically because of this deer. 
Um, so we'd, we'd, we'd hunt Sundays in, in the morning and then hang out, watch, watch the Vikings game at noon, and then by the time the Vikings game at noon was about over, we could head out and go hunt, hunt the evening. How, how old were you at this point? Uh, probably 14. 14, okay. 14-ish, probably. Yep, something like that. And uh, 14, 15. And uh, so there was this deer. We, 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 we ended up just, the only time we seen it was on a Sunday for some weird reason. It just, I don't know why it happened that way. But it just happened to be that, you know, we'd go sit this area, we'd see that buck, and we'd sit in, sit that that area any other days, and he just wouldn't see the damn thing. And uh, it just happened to be, I think there was like three times, you know, three times in in, in like that, that month, month and a half. It was the only time we seen the deer was on Sunday. And uh, it was strange. And it was, it was an area that we eventually started hunting harder and getting deeper into. Um, but... We never did. We never did actually kill the deer, but 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 the whole thing about it was the way we 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 bounce back and forth between thinking of where he's going to come out and where and, and and where he actually came out. He was he was always using. You could tell he was using the wind, the wind the wind and coming coming off that off that water in the evening. So he would hug that edge. He was almost like he would hug that edge of the, of the edge of the water. So that, like anything, anything inside the timber, it was it was almost like that that how that it was it would almost create it was, you could see it with the cotton. It was like the cotton would get pulled from the cottonwood trees, and you could see the swirl coming down into the timber off that edge. And I, I noticed it years later, and I kind of and that's kind of how I kind of started to figure out like maybe that deer was always using that area because the, the wind would always do such sporadic things, and we could never we could never really get close to him, and. He would whenever wherever he would pop out, it always seemed to be that that would be the best spot for a deer to show up. You know, at that time with that wind direction, it was just always the exact perfect spot for a deer to pop out. And it was like, well, you couldn't even have killed him, especially with this wind and 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 everything that's going on right now. You couldn't have killed him. And we thought there was only only a couple of, of options for him to really come out, but but little did we know he. At that point, we didn't realize deer would really muck through a bunch of, you know, mud and, and stuff like that. Uh, we thought, like, a little bit of mud and water was going to kind of deter them to stay on this hard ground. But little did we know, that deer would, that deer would cut through this, this really swampy, muddy area when the wind was not, not, not good for him to use that, that area close to the, this water channel. And so it was just one of those things where we just played cat and mouse with this thing for, you know, a good two and a half months. And never, never could figure him out. I mean, he was a really good deer. It was, it was just nothing, nothing major. But that was his 150 class, 10, something like that. But we bounced around back and forth on that thing in the mornings, the evenings, and it didn't matter what we did. He always had our number, you know. And after it was years after when I finally figured out how to hunt that place, and it actually ended up being that come from the river in the morning, and and that was that was the best way to do it because. In the in the evenings to get or in the morning to get back there, you come from anywhere driving on roads or from the fields. Everything had you pinned before you even got in there. I mean, so that was one of the first areas that that we you know really started to jump back in there and and come from the river. And so it was just one of those things that kind of it was it was like almost like a turning point for us because um, it, it it would seem like such a simple spot to hunt, but it just it just showed us so many different things about a deer, you know, the way they use that water, the way they use 
the, you know, the, the really swampy, nasty shit, you know, swampy crap that just, you know, you don't think anything would use and, and try to come through there. And, and here, here there was a bunch of deer using that. And you really couldn't see it because it was so soupy mud-like. It didn't leave tracks or anything. It was, and so it was, it was relatively pretty smart when, you know, when you think about it that, you know, you, you walk the banks of that stuff and you really couldn't see what was going down into that stuff very well. Yeah. So, yeah. And, but the river thing, that's kind of what kind of turned the tides for us was, was figuring out that, you know, if we're going to be able to hunt some of these spots in the morning, not just in the evening and, and do it correctly, we, we got to, we got to loop around everything and get into the backside. And, and so that, that's one thing about that hunt that I guess you really kind of opened my eyes to how smart these damn things are, you know, yeah. it was just kind of funny and you'd just be visible as hell, but, um, to, to get to get to where you could kill them, it was it was almost impossible. It felt like, yeah, you know. And so, even to this day, when I when I think about the areas that he was coming through, in the wind directions, and it, it'd be tricky. It'd be tricky, even though what I know today, yeah. you know. So that kind that particular buck, you guys started putting the pieces of the puzzle together as far as access and really using the river and water as access to backdoor these deer. Yeah, yeah, yep. And then uh, it actually led us to find out that they were using beaver dams as well to walk across. Okay. And and so that was one, once once we kind of started figuring out that you know this this deer you know he he's he's doing things he's doing things that that weren't really making sense to us where he was coming out and he was always a loner he would never he'd never have any other deer with him he would always come out alone there'd be other deer coming out right where we expected him to come out and. Every time you were always like, this is the night, this is the night, you know, he's coming out. And then he'd pop out somewhere just absolutely random. And it, it seemed so random. And, and so finally we started, you know, get pressure, you know, put the pressure on, really started to get more aggressive. And I think with just the frustrations of that deer trying to figure it out, it was like, you know, dangling, you know, it was just like, it was just like dangling candy in front of your face. It was just like, Hey, I'm right here. You guys could kill me if you just, you know, figure it out, you know, but so so we just kind of I think we just kinda got got uh, got you know put the pressure on enough that we started getting back in deeper. We started finding these beaver dams with just massive trails going across them on this little back channel, and then started to figure out like you know these trails run parallel on here. You know if a guy you could even you could even sit on the opposite side of this, and and the wind could be doing this, and you know your wind would be blowing up over here and out off the river, and we started to figure out all these little little things that a morning hunt especially would just be prime you know and you know we'd, we'd over the years that, that place that place had, had gotten just awesome hunting over over the, that next probably five to seven years yeah and so, now now it's actually turned into pretty much pretty much nothing it's there's pretty much nothing going on there now because the river has changed so much over the last 10 years that it's pretty much turned it all into backup water and swamp and all that stuff there's still deer there but it's just not like it used to be gotcha so once you once you started backdooring these deer is that is was there a big aha moment that led to you having more encounters maybe being more successful yeah yeah well i killed the deer pretty sure that one was 2000 2008 I shot a deer with my bow, and it was it was directly it was directly back behind 
behind all that stuff the old Sunday buck was coming out from. And the the hunt I had that morning was just it was just like one of those hunts. It was the most epic. I, the first time I heard a buck roar, it was the first time I heard a whole lot of grunting and snort wheezing and fighting and and all that. It was just like it was like I finally figured out how to get into the you know the 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 back door and like getting into the bedroom of them deer, like where they were doing everything that they naturally do. It was like I got to see like the behind the scenes for the first time. Yeah. You know, I never seen or heard anything. I always watch all the all the all the hunting channels and everything in movies and 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 shows and you'd see all this stuff going on and you're like where the hell are they seeing this and what are they you know and so it always was kind of strange and that was the first time when i snuck in from the river and set up right on right on the right on the land right on the thick thick timber line coming up coming right up running parallel with the river and the only only place that they could it was just a fantastic pinch, like just pinched down area where it was just thick on both sides, and this area was just constantly shredded with with scrapes and rubs and everything like that. And and this was the first time I actually snuck in there and hunted in the morning. And I snuck in there, hung my tree stand, set, set everything up, and and I mean it was break first breaking light, and there was deer coming through, and I couldn't couldn't see a lot of them. And then finally, and finally I'm just I just hear a fight break out in between me and all the in the fields here here a fight break out in the willows whole bunch of deer running all over the place grunting snorting chasing each other and finally a nice nice eight comes big giant bodied eight come come plowing through after running off another buck and he was bumping a doe and i stuck him at like 15 yards through the heart and he ran about 20 yards and just went pile head over head over head over tail you know just freaking rolled and it was just like one of those hunts that was like holy shit I can't believe that all just happened, you know, like he- hearing all that stuff and seeing all that stuff for like really the first time, you know, it was like behind the scenes type stuff. It was like, it was the most incredible hunt, you know? Yeah. And, and ever since then, ever since then, it was like, I, uh, we, we kind of, what we had thought was going to be the way to do it ended up being the way to do it. You know, yeah. we were kind of getting there, getting there, getting there. And, and then finally, you know, kind of, Set it all up perfect, perfect, perfect time of the year. Got in there, got in right where we always knew that somebody had to be. We'd always talk about it, and uh, finally, finally, just all come together. Right. So, <laughs> fast forwarding to today, are you still using a boat for a majority of your access to to hunt, or are you guys still like salt and peppering that in with, you know, driving a truck to a parking lot and walking in? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's probably, you know, uh, it's probably about half and half yet. Okay. You know? Okay. Um, you know, about half and half. Um, you know, different times of the year call call for a little more boat action than 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 pickup. You know, early season you can get away with having get away with not using the boat so much. Um, the deer are kind of just out closer towards towards food sources and stuff like that. There's not quite pushed as deep yet, um, and. Uh, you know, getting getting into getting into October and November and everything, everything's kind of getting pressured, and uh, that that's when I'll still use I'll still use the the boat. You know, early season. It's just it's, it just seems like it's a lot more efficient. Come October, it feels like. Yeah. Um. But but for the most part, it's it's uh, you know, we park at a, park at a spot. And we just might make a big a big trek. You know, and make make a loop into something or 
or just you know uh, set up closer, set up closer to to, to areas where where people are just overlooking. You know, I mean, everybody. It seems like everybody wants to be the grinder and and the guy that you know the hunting beast type guy, right? It just goes as deep and as far back as possible, and and uh, pushes pushes the limits. It seems like there's a lot more of that anymore. Yeah. So there's a lot of areas that 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 just get completely overlooked because every you know it's such a such a easy easy track into it and it, and it just doesn't look like much and 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 that's where a lot of these big bucks are hiding nowadays yeah we're yeah. finding yeah that's funny you say that because i was out i was out with my kids the other day and uh we had just come back from kind of like an easy mushroom hunt and i wanted to show there was this time of year is when the carp start to spawn and they were coming up yeah. into this backwater and they're jumping out of the water and all these things. And I wanted to show my kids just like these big fish jumping out of the water. And, and uh, and yeah. I, I'm looking down on the ground and I cut this gigantic track and I just had to like put it in the bank and uh, you know, Oh yeah. C- come back to it so uh, i don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or or this week sometime i'm going to head back in and follow where these where this track where i think this track was going right what directions and try Mm -hmm. to try to find some bedding or whatnot but it's on a giant piece of public and it's not too far where this track was at and and granted right a lot can happen from now until uh, october but at least right. there's the deer yep. in the area right now. And it's uh, it got me kind of excited because it was a huge track and it wasn't very far from the parking lot. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Now, like like in your area, is it, is it kind of like, like this? Because over, over here, um, you know, I, I could find, I mean, I think just the other day I was just on the corner of my property down here in this alfalfa field and, and uh, giant, giant buck track, you know. And uh, so right right away, I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of feel like I know where he's coming from, where he's living. But, you know, that track, that could be from a deer that lives uh, a mile or two or, you know, away from here, you know, come hunting season. You know, very, very likely, actually. So I don't know, is that is that something that, that you got, you notice down there, too, that, you know, that, you know, sometimes you just you kind of get, get an eye on something or you kind of get a, a feeling that, there's a big deer that's running around and all of a sudden he just kind of disappears at certain times of the year. Well, I mean, that's exactly how my farm is. My main farm. Now oh. it, it's not, it's not a river bottom farm like where I was at, uh, the other day. Right. You, you kind of, uh-huh. you, you hunt big, big tracks of river bottom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So that's I was hunt. I was scouting in a big track of river bottom, but as far as what you're saying, deer disappearing, man, if if the farm that I hunt, all the bucks, if all the bucks from the summer stuck around, man, I would have the best farm in Iowa. I feel like, dude, oh, just yeah. just like yeah. velvet velvet picture, the you know like giant booners on camera all the time, and then September hits, the velvet uh, the velvet comes off, and there's the huge shift, and they go away right yeah 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 so but yep. as far but it, but as far as you know and i i mean just a little bit longer than that i've had deer stick around for you know three two years disappear for a couple years and then come back and then go away again right so right it's just 
I don't know. I, I there are there there's there's consistency, but then there's some deer who their patterns just I don't know are are wonky. Yeah, yeah, it's really it's really fascinating actually because yeah, I've seen the same thing. I've seen the same thing where we'll lose track we'll lose track of deer, you know, that that maybe have been around for a couple of years and they haven't really gone anywhere. And all of a sudden we'll lose track. Oh, well, they got they got shot, and then pretty quick he shows up on a trail camera or something, or we see him and it's like. What the hell? Yeah, where did he come from? Where has he been? You know, yeah. and it's 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 crazy. It's crazy, man. And you know, and you know, it, there's a just like there's a there's a private section right next to my house here, and and that I'll I'll hunt from time to time, uh, just because it's fun to hunt because there's a lot of deer there. You know, so you get you go out there and you just so more of just a relaxing, just sit back and watch all the action for the most part. And there's across the highway, there's another private section, and it's funny. It's funny how how often even he the, the landowner over there loses track of bucks and they don't even end up over here, you know. So we'll both be talking about maybe even the same particular bucks or a buck or something, and we'll go, well, where the hell did that deer go? You know, I don't know, I don't know. You know, it's it's kind of funny how they'll just disappear and then all of a sudden they'll show right back up randomly. Yeah. It's like, hmm, I wonder what that is. Is there a lot of <laughs> ag in your river bottoms? Yeah, yeah, yep. Lots of alfalfa and sugar beets and corn and. Yep. Do they lots do they rotate uh, crops yep. like they do in Iowa? Yep. So uh, does that play a role? Because I know that there are that, in my opinion, not necessarily as far as the the area, the the general area, but on the farm mm-hmm. uh, the farm itself, crop rotation plays a huge role in where yeah. the deer move yeah. on the farm. Yeah, yeah, most definitely does. The the sugar beets, the sugar beets, like it's a late season thing. So it's like it's one of the things you just pay attention to, you know, going into late season. You always know where all the sugar beet fields are because those will probably be loaded. You know, that's going to a lot of the lot of the deer. That's where I'd pick up a lot of my sheds in springtime. You know, and in, coming into spring, you know, end of winter there, that's where you'd pick up a lot of sheds, a lot of them, all them sugar beet fields. Now you know, early season, they'll they'll hit those, but it seems like they're just kind of like. It's almost like they they just they don't they won't stay in them long. They'll just kind of go up there, get a get a get a little bite to eat, and then they're on to the next next field, probably alfalfa or something like that. And then, uh, you know, on the way back in the morning, you know, they'll they'll grab a quick quick snack of a, of uh, of some sugar beets, you know, and and then they're off and back, and you know, but they won't spend a whole lot of time in them. And but uh, that that is definitely something I've noticed. Yeah, I've noticed I've noticed that that plays a role. That plays yeah. a role, like I said, especially the late season. It seems like, you know, where we'll get deer even crossing the river, you know, to come over to a bunch of sugar beets in late season, you know. So has has there ever been a a time where how far is the the private that has the egg on it away from the public that you spend most of your time on? Is it right next to each other, or is it like a road and a property away? Um, well, so the little private, the little private section that, that is right by my house, that's, that's basically all private. And then it's, it's a, basically right across the river is some public. Okay. So, so literally it's, it's a, it's a bunch of, it's a big private timber spot and then it's got private fields and everything up top. And, and, uh, and then across the river is the public. And then, and so it's, it's, it's all, it's all pretty well separated, but, but, uh, are they? Yeah, yeah. Are the deer then 
do the deer kind of stay in the bottoms? Is the egg up out of the bottoms or is it down in the bottoms? So it's in the bottoms. It's in the bottoms. There's kind of like a an old the old river channel. Basically, what it is 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 uh, there's there's a there's an old river channel here that it drops down like ten probably ten to fifteen feet off off of the fields and it drops down and then and that's just in this area. You know, there's a lot of this along the river bottom where there's an old river channel that isn't there. There's not river there anymore, but so it just turned into a bunch of timber down below, and so. You'll have you'll have all the fields that are up about that 10, 15, 20 foot, you know, embankment, and then you got all the fields, and so all the deer drop down into the timber, most in a lot of areas. Right. And then, and then that that and then all that but butts up to the river further back. Okay. Uh, away from those fields. Yep. Okay. So I know that in the past you guys have you know especially recent years you guys have been dealing with a lot of flooding. What do the, what are the yeah. deer doing when it it starts to flood? Oh yeah, they're they're they're, they're piled up in in on high, in the high ground areas. They'll you know they'll they'll head they'll head for the hills. You know, um, and most of that's private, right? Yeah, a lot of a lot of the hill country around here is private. Yeah, yeah, on each side of the valley. There's some there's some public, but much more much more much more private than public down in down in the than along the river. Yep, and so I was, I mean, that was basically how I killed my deer last year. You know, the the flooding, the flooding kind of just it, it made it it made it just almost almost like almost just. I mean, the, he was living literally on a little strip of land that was up off the off the water. You know, yeah. and and I and based off of everything I knew about that deer at that time, that water just made it that much more easy to kill him. You know, it just it eliminated so much ground that I knew I would have to cover, you yeah. know, and, and, it, and I knew just, it, it all just kind of came together after I missed him, after I missed him, I missed my shot at that deer, uh, the year before, uh, I, I, when, when he went, when he went running off, I mean, all I could go through my head is if he survives till the following fall, I'm going to kill him because I knew at that point exactly every little thing about him that that I could learn about a deer. I knew it. And I knew where his home I knew where he, his core area was and and he seemed to he seemed to be a very very core driven deer where he was just that was his area. Yeah. And it was hard to, it was super hard to get in and kill him. I mean, that's why he he grew up to be what he was. And it was just it was super tough. You had to be super careful and you had to take a, you had to just take a big risk to go in there and kill him, you know? So when the and when so, the water level then came up it just made it that it just eliminated certain places where you thought he was going to be and it was just like a no-brainer you're like dude i i know yep. so much about this deer now with the yep. high water i know exactly where he's at right yeah okay. exactly i mean because because i knew it i knew it the, with the way the water level was um i knew that that area that he was living in that that particular area he his, he liked to be and where he kind of seemed to be where his core bedding area was i knew that was dry yeah and i and and with the way with the way he was he was being like extremely less visible in the summer in the summertime and towards the end of summer i just knew that if he was alive that's where he was and if i slipped in there at the right right time uh i, I knew i knew he was going to be in there you know yeah. i just knew it okay. and got in there all the signs started to show up right as I got into that little strip. It was this 
basically a little strip of timber, probably 60 yards wide. Yeah. And it ran, you know, a few hundred yards long. And I knew he's going to be bedded up at that, that, that north tip of it. He's going to be bedded right up in there where he always was, where I've seen him coming in and out of there over the last year, year and a half. And so I just took, I just gambled. It was the first time I went after him. And if it wasn't for that water, you know, I wouldn't have probably went that, that aggressive on it. And especially knowing everything I knew about him, I, you know, but with the water being the way it was and I just had a feeling, that gut feeling and went for it. And sure Not enough, him. I watched him, watched him get up out of his bed, you know, yeah. one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life, you know? Yeah. If you guys want to hear the whole story on that buck, you need to go to the Sportsman's Nation website and just uh, type in Lucas, and uh, that that podcast will pop up. It's a pretty it's a pretty kick ass story. So I highly recommend going and listening to the, that episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles. But uh, I have, yeah, I have yeah. one more question about the the river and how how that plays a role because this year um, I. Obviously, I'm going to be hunting my main farm, but when I am home, I'm going to be doing a little bit more uh, public land, river bottom hunting myself, and it always floods throughout the the summer. From your experience, when there's a flood and it kicks the deer out of the bottoms, how long does it typically take them, once the water recedes, to funnel back into the area and kind of go back to business as usual? Around here, around here, it's super quick. It's super quick. And actually, there's, I, I've gone into some, I've gone into some timber that, I mean, basically drained in the last few days, and there'd be already, like immediately, there'd be there'd be fresh tracks back there, you know. And I'm sure that's because there's maybe a few deer still living around there. But I think my favorite thing about living on the river and when it floods is it leaves all these low lying areas, like little runways or you know waterways or bayous whatever you want to call them um they it leaves a really it, it, like here the mud leaves really good tracks yeah in in some of these in some of these in some of these runways and these, these bayous so what i love about those is i'll walk those i'll get off at the river and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take my boat and I'll get off and I'll, I'll walk these. And I, know, I got all these kind of just already mapped out in my head. I know where all the ones I like to hit and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, usually about a, two weeks, probably those will start to see, start to show a lot of sign, you know, of, of, of deer crossing them. And then over about a three to four week period, it seems to be where you can actually see the, the, the really, you know, distinguished areas where deer are really traveling right. you know and leaving all that that the tracks i mean the tracks just tell the story especially for that early season hunting that's that's one of the, my favorite things about r- working off the river is you know um and when that flood comes up it just makes everything so i mean it just dampens everything and it leaves it leaves you know a lot of times bare ground so deer can't tr- the tracks can't be hidden and so it don't take long it's you know here up here anyways you know, uh, as soon as that stuff starts to dry up, them deer, they're, they're heading back to where they like to be and where they're comfortable, it seems like. Right. You know, it don't take long at all. So that's so. that's where the cover is, right? Because up in the hills, it's, right. it's more barren ground. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see deer. You'll see deer hanging out in, in uh, little small small clumps of timber just, just up, out of the, up out of the main river bottom that are, you know, just up here in the fields, you know. Um, there's going to be some clumps of timber that, you know, are still standing. There's 
you know, some little little chunks here and there, and you'll see deer just bedding in that type of stuff, and and they're not really they're not really in, in any kind of great timber. But I mean, that time of the year, they're not being pressured. So you know, during the summer, I've started I've, I've started in the last few years catching on to how how I can really glass these these particular spots that you would never even think that there'd be deer there, but because there's flood, there's deer, you right. know, and and they're just coming out of little tiny pockets of timber. I mean, it could be just a big, thick, grassy ditch or something, basically, and then pretty quick there's, you know, seven deer standing outside of that, that little patch, you know, yeah. at right, right at last light. And a lot of times you can get get your eyes on some, some mega bucks at t- that time of the year around here. What you know, uh, just, just, just doing that. Have you had better success in wet years or dry years? Wet. Yeah. Yep. And that's because when the water's high, it makes them more pre- predictable? I think I think so. Yeah. Yep. I yep. Gotcha. And now, and now, you know, it was it was always I usually hunted a lot of a lot of dry, you know, dry river bottoms for a lot of years. And now that this river this river's changed, you know, so much that now it floods so much that I've started to figure out how deer like to use all that stuff to their advantage and 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 I'm starting to figure out where all these little little spots are that they 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 kind of they'll hole up in because that that's maybe some dry ground or it's maybe the easiest path of travel you know maybe it's it stays it gets the driest the fastest or you know or they just go there's nothing that can get me if I go out to this little spot you know there's yeah. water around every side and that's where that that's where that big one will go run and hide you know and there's a I'm looking forward to this year because. We we kind of we kind of stumbled across a spot now this last two years where we've jumped a big buck out of this little point that that's like it's basically a little finger that comes off of a a large piece of timber and it's a little finger that's got a, a, a basically an old waterway on each side of it and it's not really that great of a looking spot but we've kicked a giant buck out of there two years in a row now and and the only way to hunt it the only way to hunt it is going to be a canoe. You have to use a canoe or a kayak. You have to slip back in there, and there's surrounded by water all except for one side, and so it's just a finger. And we're looking forward to trying that spot out and, and, and ambushing a big deer on that because it seems like that it was the same buck as well. It's the same damn buck. So, and there's an old deer. So we're, we're figuring if he's still around, he'll be there. If not, there's another buck to take that spot, guaranteed. Yeah. It's just too good. So, so it is almost June. When do trail cameras get deployed for you? Well, I haven't hardly even used any in the last couple couple years in the summertime for the most part. Um, uh, I mean, not 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 necessarily like I'd used to. Uh, my dad kind of took up the trail camera stuff. He's kind of he's kind of been having fun with that. Um, so I kind of get him geared up anymore. And and he he kind of he gets out there and puts a bunch of cameras out and I'll help him a little bit but I suppose we'll probably start doing that towards the end of June probably okay middle middle to the end of June you know just to start start getting a look at maybe some sort of a frame growing on deer depending on how high the water is too at that point it doesn't look like we're gonna have a whole whole lot of a uh, high high water year this year it doesn't look like so it could be a little different. A little more widespread, not as easy to get eyes on something this this summer. Yeah, but cool, man, cool. Yeah. Now, I last time I talked to you, you were getting geeked out about moose. Um, yeah. D- did what was it? Did your wife draw a moose tag last year? 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what I was just gonna get into. My mind's not even on deer right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, my holy focus this year is all moose in my head. It's all moose. I'm going. I'm I'm, I'm gonna do everything possible to help my wife get be in the right spot to take out a moose. Yeah. And uh, so that that I think that's. I haven't even looked at the start date. I guess on that. I guess yet. But but uh, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be doing a hell of a lot of scouting for moose this year. That's crazy. Then, uh, I heard that South Dakota and you live up there, so correct me if I'm wrong. They've seen mm-hmm. some they've seen some absolute giant moose like that start to rival what's up north. Yo, even South Dakota? No, no, no. Or or, or you mean or North Dakota? North, oh, okay. North Dakota. Yeah. Like uh, yeah. north of oh. you, meaning like Canada and Alaska. Yeah. Well, yeah, we we like I said there was a a record one, a record with bow was just shot this past year, just not far from here, and river bottom. And uh, we have, we actually, there's been a moose that he's he's still alive, as far as we know. Um, he he would he would he would freaking be an absolute monster if if somebody's able to catch up with him. There's getting to be some damn good ones running around this river bottom, definitely. Yeah. Really good one. What's the moose population like? Like, what's a good moose population in, in the area? Oh gosh, I over the I mean the past years I don't even know what the numbers. I think I think they were counting like eighty or ninety moose. I think within I think this is what it probably a uh, uh I would probably put this at a twelve like a twelve mile I guess a twelve mile long river bottom here. Yeah. You know maybe maybe three four four miles wide but it's there's there's just piles of these things down here and it's not just here either like it i mean all over the state of north dakota people are smacking these things yeah. you know and they're getting i mean north of here and then east northeast of here um east of here is just it, there's just becoming more and more and more and and you know this river bottom i think is just kind of taken to taken to they've, i think they've taken to this river bottom so well because of those especially with this water level the way it's 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 been the past you know five to ten years being so high and it's creating these really marshy really just high water type areas where these moose just thrive you know the willows they have everything they need to eat they have no predators you know they're just they're just growing growing and just multiplying like crazy and so it's 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 becoming one of those spots i think over the next you know the next few years and and I think into the future, if this the way it continues the way the way it's going, we don't have anything weird with diseases or anything come out. There's this is going to be a well sought out after sought out tag, you know, for for people trying to get, and it is around here already for just the residents, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's it's it's. I mean, the shed season here is absolutely bonkers. I mean, any more it's good luck shed hunting. Good yeah. luck, you know, because yeah. I mean, it's, there's people that are driving these roads <laughs> at first light. Every damn morning through shed season because and moose are still out in the fields and you, they'll get out and then they're easy to spot, you know, in the, in the snow. So all I do is get eyes on them and they see everything's carrying their antlers still and then now they're pretty much they're just, they're out of there. They see something that you know these groups are oh there's a couple couple bulls with you know missing antler or two. Now they're glassing fields for the next couple hours probably, yeah. you know, and then they're gonna get out and go trek. So. It's gotten wild. There's probably more shed hunters than there are regular hunters around here anymore. <laughs> what's the what's the tag allocation the for a resident? Uh, here is it lottery or is it yeah, yeah, preference point? Yeah, 
Yeah, it, it's a lottery, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime tag. I forget the number they, they gave out this year. Um, it's a once-in-a-lifetime tag, so you draw it, you draw it, you get you, you get either either or. Like you can put in for a cow moose, but but uh, um, most people are just going to put in for the either or. And uh, so once you draw it, you're done. You don't, even if you don't kill, it doesn't matter. You're done. You don't never get that tag again. Um, but there's it's it's a tough one. You're, it's not it's not something I think some some of us are going to never draw it probably. Yeah. Especially it's getting more and more popular every year. So. You know, for my wife to draw it, it's just—it's absolutely insane. You know, yeah. she's she's now she's she actually drew it. But what's the what are so, the odds? What are the draw odds? Do you know? <laughs> really shitty. <Yeah. laughs> That's all I can tell you. I mean, I really couldn't tell you. I'm just that you know, you know, I've never been the guy to look into that stuff really that that much. I just never have, and I, I just never have, man. Um, yeah. I'd rather just you know, if I want something, I'll put in for it. And, you know, um, especially here, right? It's his home. So um, I just never, never put in for it. It's like, I, that doesn't really matter, right? I mean, I'm going to put in for it regardless, you know? So if, whatever the odds are, it doesn't matter in my head, I guess. But you're just going to try. Just going to, you got to try. You're going to try, man. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's like, there's no reason not to, you right. know? Um, there's no reason to put in really for any other units because this is the only one I want to kill one in. So it's, cool, it's just like, oh, we just put in, you know, hope and pray, hope and pray we draw one. And she draw one, she drew one, and, and uh, there's, a, there's a damn good spot on the wall for that big old euro that she's going to have up <laughs> there. It's, it's, uh, I've, ever since we moved into this house a couple of years ago, I was like, there's going to be a big euro moose on that wall at some point. Right. right. I just think them things look awesome. Yeah. Man, the moose yeah. is definitely on my bucket list for sure, man. I I want to, I think I've talked about it before, but I want to do like a Yukon River float trip where yeah. they, they say here's all the stuff you need, float down the river, set up camp, you know, go in, hunt them, you know, float down yep. the river and say, hey, you need to be here by this date. What you do between now and then uh, is up to you. Don't get eaten by a grizzly bear, like that kind of yeah, hunt. yeah. And, and now is that is that something that you can do without a guide is on the Yukon or is that is, I thought it, isn't it? Yeah, that, I would the, probably need a guide in in Canada, but in Alaska, yeah, I think they they just drop you off. Well, no, I, I think I think well, I, th- I think Canada might be it might be opposite because I, uh, I think Alaska is where you got to have somebody. I don't know. If I remember correctly. Uh, my I, my cousin my cousin lives up there, and. Uh, and uh, I remember him. I remember him telling me that about that, that because uh, because he he's got the whole setup. He's got the he's got the fan boat. He's got he's got everything. And and uh, so my 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 cousin it's her it's her fiance, and and they go up and they live up there in Wasilla, Alaska. And he it's just incredible, man. They send me he sends me these videos every year on his phone. Yeah. Holy shit, that hunt looks phenomenal. Yeah. And he's told me, he's like, we're doing it. We're doing it at some point. You're coming up here and we're going to do it. So I'm like you, man. That's that's my that's my big time bucket list hunt right there. Yeah. You know, Definitely. I think guys like us were born to live in Alaska because I heard, I, know. I heard that, okay, so they, they don't have whitetails in Alaska, right? Yes. But there's 54 different tags that a guy can take advantage of. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, yeah. And like I said, I've, I've, yeah, freaking phenomenal, man. Yeah. And 
I'll tell you what, that shoreline, that shoreline bear hunting that that we did up there while I was up there with those guys off the coast of the of the the ocean and the Prince William Sound, holy hell was that awesome. That was that was something. That was not like your typical bear hunting, right? Like you're sitting over a big bait pile and you're, you know, you're just, you know, smacking something. Right. You know, which I don't have any problem with that with anybody doing it. It's just not not something that uh, like, you know, excites me to go do. Yeah. You know? But that that type of hunting where you're just you're out on the water, you're in your bigger boat and you spot these things and you j- toss the little dinghy boat out that's barely big enough for two guys and you throw three, four guys in the damn thing <laughs> <laughs> and you're and you're heading off to the shore there and you're trying to cut them off and, and get close and we've stocked up to really close to some of these bears. And you know, we had they had, they had rifles, my my cousins and them. So then we actually killed we killed one bear up there while I was there. Me and with me and Jen me and Jen were up there. But that that right there, man, with a bow, I don't know. I don't know if it, I don't know if if a guy goes up there in that scenery and you're out there doing with that, you you're, you know you're catching halibut, you're shrimping, you can go kill a bear. Holy hell! Yeah. You know, I'll take that all day. Absolutely, man. You know, this uh, ain't like you can't always come back and do do the deer hunting, right? Yeah. You could always make a trip back to, you know, the Midwest and and go shoot some deer, you know, and hunt some deer because. It's not something you're going to forget, you know, and how to do. And it's probably not something that, you know, you and I, we probably got to practice really a whole lot at doing. You know, you kind of just got it down now. You know how to get out there and put yourself in a decent situation at least, you know. So I'm getting to that point, man. I've I've killed, I think, you know, my fair share of whitetails over over the years. And, you know, I wouldn't wouldn't be opposed to moving to Alaska or something (laughs) like that. That place is incredible. Right. Well, I think we got a, I think we got another topic for another podcast coming up pretty soon, huh? Yes, sir. Well, I tell you what, man, I really appreciate your time, Lucas. Thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your day to hop on and chat with me. And uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. Right on, man. It's always a pleasure. Take care. Say hi to the family. You know, and you know, anytime, give me a shout. I'll jump on. It's always fun bullshitting. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, another hump day episode in the books. Big shout out to Lucas. Thank you very much for taking time out of your day to hop on and BS with me a little bit. Huge shout out to you, the listener. Thank you very much. I hope all you guys get the opportunity in your life at some point to eat baby carrots and drink Budweiser. And lastly, Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast. They make it all possible. Ozonics, Scent Elimination, Wasp Broadheads, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, The Average Conservationist, and of course, our title sponsor, Vortex Optics, man. Uh, Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please go to iTunes or wherever you download this podcast and subscribe. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, after that, have a good day. Have a good life. Call somebody that you haven't talked to in a while and chit-chat with them. Go outside. Enjoy Mother Nature in the fresh air. And uh, I will talk to you next time.